The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Congratulations on being nominated as Toronto's best podcast. Oh, we are only nominated, although it is an honor. It is. Truly, somebody out there has been paying attention. Uh, we do have a podcast, and somebody was, maybe they just couldn't think of any other Toronto podcast to nominate, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to take the victory where we can get it. Well, you clearly didn't see that list. There are quite a few names on there. Are there? There are, and unfortunately, neither of our actual names are on the list. It would have been really helpful if it had been with Alan Cross. I think that would have put it over the top. Well, what I will do is I will marshal my social media army and we will try and get the word out. How's that? All right. If you go to geeksandbeats.com slash vote, it'll redirect you to the blog TO top podcasts of Toronto. And we desperately hope that you will not vote for Toronto vegan. Really? <laughs> yeah. For some reason, that's number one oh. on the list. You are a meat lover, are you not? I Listen, I just had... Uh, a big pile of meatballs. So, yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, great. So now, basically, you've isolated the vegan vote. <laughs> Toronto vegan. All right. Well, may the best podcast win. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. The Big Shat Attack. William Shatner joins us to talk about his 500-horsepower tricycle, his new book, and we've got the scoop on his involvement in the next Star Wars movie, a Star Trek movie. <laughs> gotcha. Watch what you say in front of your new Samsung Smart TV. We'll tell you what other gadgets are listening in on your conversations and reporting back to HQ. 17% of all music buyers are responsible for the decline in CD sales. Are you one of them? Plus, a Geeks and Beats update on how you can make us Toronto's number one podcast and why Justin Bieber's music isn't the only Bieber-related product circling the drain. And now... Michael Hainsworth. Before we go any further about your interview with William Shatner, yes. we have to sit down and figure out how we can improve the audio quality here, because it sounds like he's coming from the fourth quadrant. Uh, he is coming from the far end of the Delta Quadrant. Uh, however, uh, he has a he was working in his office. Uh, on, a, on a speakerphone, and and that was that was frankly the best we could we could get. Subspace radio wasn't working very well that day. <laughs> Quite clearly, I'm really interested in what he has to say about this three wheeled trike uh, that he's going to be riding across the United States uh, about. But you also got an interesting scoop on the new Star Wars movie, Star don't, don't, Trek. Oh, Star Trek, and that wasn't even on purpose. Usually, I troll you about that sort of thing. <laughs> no, there are three things we talk about. We talk about a, his new book. We talk about this. New new weird motorcycle uh, called the Rivet that he's uh, he's formed a company to put this thing into production. And we get the definitive answer on whether or not he is in the third Star Trek reboot movie. All right. What is this motorcycle that somebody is building for you? Well, I'm helping design a motorcycle uh, that is absolutely unique uh, and powerful. And we will finish it uh, by the spring, and I will drive it, and other, uh, and in the company of other motorcyclists, and perhaps 
other motorcycles like it if we get enough orders in enough time to manufacture it. Uh, Wait, you're going to put this thing into production? Oh, yeah. We're, we want to sell. They're going to be high-end motorcycles. We'd like to sell uh, a number of them. You know, we'd be happy with 10. What, what, and what do you call them? Well, it's being made by our new company, my company, called Rivet Motors. And Rivet Motors will have a whole line of motorcycle things, uh, uh, material, uh, clothing, uh, but especially this motorcycle. If you look it up, you'll see this wonderfully wild design that is well within the uh, capabilities. American Wrench is making the motorcycle. Because the pictures I've seen look like it's something out of like out of Tron. Yes, yes, it's very futuristic, but very well designed. And part of the stuff that I wanted designed into it was uh, stability. So we're using three wheels. We're using a tricycle. That's that's big. I mean, you know, there's the Can Am, and there's a few other motorcycles that use the the you know the tricycle design. Uh, what what kind of engine? Well, that's very astute. We might as we might put in. A 500 horsepower engine in there. <laughs> I'm thinking that's a bit much, but these guys are, are really, you know, excited. So anywhere between 300 and 500, it's going to be a beast. Uh-huh. 500 horsepower, and how much is it going to weigh? It'll weigh a lot. That's why it's a tricycle. Oh, okay. But still, you're going to be able to, with 500 horsepower, a vehicle that size, you're probably going to be able to rocket to 60 miles an hour in less than three seconds. I would say, and, and sustain the speed and have stability. So it should be very safe for older people. Are, are, are the dual wheels at the front or the back? Back. Okay. I, I just thought it was aesthetically prettier that way. Right, okay. And it's very low to the ground, very low center of gravity, uh, and it's like a missile. And uh, lots of modern equipment on it. Oh, you'd need it. <laughs> and you, this will be this year? Uh, this will be this early summer. I'll drive it, uh, like I say, in the company of other motorcyclists from, uh, we're thinking the middle of June, from uh, Chicago to L.A., stopping off along the way to raise funds for various charities at a couple of, two, three of the major cities that we'll go through. Okay, so let's just, I just want to back up here. So you're, you're still acting, you're still doing uh, documentaries, uh, you're still writing books. Uh, you're still, uh, and now you're 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 designing and manufacturing motorcycles with a new subsidiary company of the the Shatner World. Uh, what 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 else are you doing? During the one man show. Is that still going? Yeah. How's that working out? Uh, fantastically. I, I did my last engagement a week or so ago, uh, in, in in a sold out audience. It went hysterical. It was great. It was great. Uh -oh. Okay, and I'm just. You still using the empty chair that I used to occupy? <laughs> we we now are uh, since I'm uh, uh, touring light and fast. We get a chair at the venue. Uh, I think the last time I was in your office, you were talking about this book that you were you were writing about uh, how to unretire. Right. So let's talk about Called, that. Called uh, Catch Me Up. Uh, in it, I interview uh, uh, half a dozen people who have made uh, uh, new lives for themselves after the age of 50, either because they were dissatisfied with what they were doing uh, or they were uh, dismissed because uh, of the turndown in the economy. But they made new lives for themselves, and they tell us how, and out of which we glean how to utilize the social media 
for everybody who uh, who's out of a job and wishes to get back in, finding it finding it difficult to do so, how they can advertise their wares, what they are capable of doing, what services they're capable of offering, and how to uh, make that felt. I think this is this is really timely because we're seeing a lot of people being laid off in their in their 50s. Um, maybe they're too expensive. Maybe somebody can be found to do the job cheaper or, or whatever. And uh, they're, they're very depressed. They're, they're thinking, oh, my God, I'm at the end of my working life. There's no way that I'm ever going to get another job. But the, but the truth of the matter is that the, the corporate memory, the, the experience these people have, it's, it's very, very important to a lot of companies out there. That's exactly right. There, there, there are goods and services to be offered that people that employers, if they knew where they can find this manpower, they would, uh, they, they would jump at the chance. And, and, uh, and also, the, the aspect of people who are older, who are afraid of the uh, technology of the social media. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually going through that right now with my wife, who uh, was let go from her job for oh, uh, after about 12 years, and, and now she is picking up the pieces and she's learning how to use things like LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and all those things that help with the the networking that is necessary today to find that new job. That's exactly right. That, that's that's what the book is all about. Okay, I need one because I've got somebody who needs to read it. Good. And uh, this is aimed at anybody over the age of what? Well, I'm saying 50, but it could be a 20-year-old who, uh, who, who feels that they they have some skills to offer and uh, would like uh, would like to start as an entrepreneur entrepreneur uh, uh, they would benefit from reading it and some uh, old geezer of uh, 70 uh, uh, might find that uh, a lifetime of uh, of work in a particular area has a value to many other people but it, yeah, I, I can actually I can see this happening. I mean, with with baby boomers reaching this this age where they're in their seventies or eighties, they are retired. They could use some extra income. Why not find something that you love to do to occupy your time rather than go and play bingo every night? And that's what the book is aimed at. Okay, well, and the book again is called Catch Me Up, which means catch me up to the lo- to the latest skills. Fantastic. Now, the start this new Star Trek movie. Are are you involved or not? Well, you know, they fired the director. And I haven't heard anything more about it. I mean, I was having conversations with the director, and they fired him. That was, I don't know what's going on. So that, that was J.J. Abrams, because he's gone off, he's too busy with Star Wars, I guess. J.J. Uh, is, yeah. And uh, I'd heard that Simon Pegg could be writing the script. Who? Simon Pegg. Played Scotty in the last one. Writing the script of? This new Star Trek. Oh, really? I hadn't heard that. Oh. More than I. Nobody knows who's directing it yet? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sort of out of the loop, and... Uh, and the ups and downs of that. I, I'd love to be in it and uh, one more time, but uh, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Oh, all right. Well, listen, I'll uh, I'll see if I can call somebody at Paramount and uh, and make this happen for you. Thank you very good. How is it possible you gave William Shatner the scoop on what was going on with the movie he's supposed to be in? <laughs> I, I I don't know. That kind of surprised me as well. You need to talk to his agent, not him. Well, see, the Shad has a very, very tiny office. There's him and a woman named Kathleen. And somewhere there's a guy named Larry who handles his business affairs. But that's it. He's a three-person operation, and he's the the chief uh, person in that operation. You couldn't run a shuttlecraft with three people. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. 
Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. You don't have one of these new Samsung TVs, do you? Um, I got a couple of Samsung TVs in the house, but I don't have any. Of the, is it one of these new smart ones? This is, is the big uh, guffuffle about the new Samsung smart TV, which, by the way, most of them are not very smart at all. No, they're, they're, they're dumb internet appliances. But we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, courtesy of Boing Boing and Corey Doctorow, a friend of the big show, uh, he has gone through the Smart TV EULA. The oh, the End User License Agreement. Correct. Quote, please be aware that if your spoken words include personal or other sensitive information, that information will be among the data captured and transmitted to a third party through your use of voice recognition. You've got to be kidding. Your TV could spy on you? This has got the tinfoil hat crowd absolutely frothing <laughs> at the mouth. And I can understand why. When Xbox came out with the Connect and it was always on, you would walk into the room, Connect would do one of two things. It would recognize your face and automatically switch to your profile, or you could use it for things like Xbox TV on, and it would turn your TV on and all that kind of stuff. And there was no off button. There was no way to turn it off. It made me feel like the 1980s show Max Headroom, where it was illegal to turn off a TV. It was no, There was no way to turn off the Kinect with the exception of unplugging the thing, and then you wouldn't have any Xbox functionality for a lot of these games until the hue and cry led the company to say, all right, we'll put a, an off switch, a, a digital one, mind you, for mm. that. Similarly for Samsung, they're saying if you turn off the voice recognition feature on our new smart TVs, you don't have to worry about this. But this just comes full circle back to the 80s and 90s when it was rumored that the CIA could listen in on your telephone even if the receiver was on the hook. Yeah, I remember those, uh, remember those stories. And then we had the same sort of problem with uh, some of the original cell phones is because it was basically a, a tracking device that uh, anybody could turn on remotely and pick up anything in the, uh, in, in the immediate area. And there's nothing to say that this isn't still going on as well. And this was buried in the Samsung end user license agreement that most of us would never have read in the first place. But I suppose in addition to it being creepy that it's going back to Samsung, it's actually going to a third party that will look at that information, look at what you've uh, spoken and try to help the company come up with a better voice recognition system. Apple does this with Siri as well. Siri, as it sits right here uh, in my charger, if I say, hey, it wakes up. It wakes up. And the last time I did that on the podcast, when you listen to the show back on speakers in your car, everybody's phone suddenly started going nuts on it. And as it stands right now, <laughs> Siri is sitting here transcribing everything I'm saying. I don't see any podcasts matching back on speakers in your car, everybody's. Hmm. See? Yes. So, you know, your iPhone is probably submitting all this information back without you realizing. And it's probably happening a lot more frequently than we think. Well, what's been happening with my phone is that I'll have it sitting on a desk someplace and somebody in the immediate vicinity will say something that sounds remotely like, uh, hey, and the phone starts up and, and starts talking at me. Exactly. 
You can disable that feature. It only actually happens if it's plugged in because it would be quite the battery drain to be constantly listening otherwise. Right. Oh, is that? Oh, okay. That makes sense. Right. Because I was trying to get it to do it uh, in the car today. I was trying to get it to dial something, but it wasn't plugged in. Right. So that's your problem right there. Speaking of car, you got a new one. Yes, I did. It, you finally got it? Yes, I picked it up Saturday. So it's uh, been in nothing but slush and mush for the last uh, 48 hours. And how are you liking it? I'm liking it very much. It's uh, the Cayman much. again, is it? It's the uh, Porsche Cayman S. Cayman S. Yes, which means it has a highly uh, tuned engine and uh, sports exhaust and the chrono package and a whole bunch, oh, bunch of other things. It's I'm such a child. I really am because I put it into sport mode today. Um, actually, was actually ultra sport or sport plus mode. Uh, just so I could hear the exhaust. Oh, I thought you put it in sports mode so you could hear it scratch itself. <laughs> no, that's not it. Uh, do you want to talk about sports, though? I, I have an announcement. Oh, what is your... Oh, I know your announcement. You got a lot of attention on Twitter the other day, courtesy of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes. So here's the situation. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, uh, it will be on the front page of the Toronto Star, as I'm led to believe, is uh, my new position as um, the person helping them create an in-game music experience for the Toronto Maple Leafs. People were responding as, as you just ever so quasi-cryptically asked, has anybody noticed any difference in the music at the Leafs game? People were going on and on about how bad the music used to be mm -hmm. and how much they hadn't heard teenage heads since the 80s. Yep, that's happening. And a whole bunch of other things. Uh, if you have an opportunity, look up the Toronto Star, or the Toronto Sun for Tuesday, February the 10th. You will get the whole story there. All right. Apparently, as I sit here, because I did a bunch of interviews today. During the meanwhile... Mm -hmm. You want to reminisce about Radio Shack? Oh, come on. Don't you want to? I mean, we haven't had Radio Shack in, in Canada for a while. I mean, they were bought. Well, that's really not true. Well, they were bought out by Circuit City. So it was the source by Circuit City. But it was the old Radio Shack. And now the source by Circuit City is owned by Bell Mobility. Oh, so. Which is one of the parent companies of the station at right. which I work. Oh, okay. So. So I won't say bad things about battery. Well, no. I mean, I have a, I have a neighborhood source by Circuit City. And I, I use it all the time. I go for in there what? for cables. Yes. Batteries? Batteries. I, I was once asked when I went into a, a source store if I wanted an extended warranty on a battery. Yes. <laughs> Seriously? I what, what did I buy? I bought something for, oh, God, it was like for $15. See, you don't even remember this is a company that, and, and you know what, the, the worst thing about Radio Shack, and I'm not specifically talking about the source, because it is now owned by a phone company, but the phone side of things, the, the, the smartphone is what killed Radio Shack. You do realize that, right? I don't understand. Back in the olden days, you would go to Radio Shack, you would buy a portable music player. Yes. You would buy a video camera. Yes. You would buy a clock radio. Yes. You would buy all these things that your smartphone can now do. Radio Shack was a place where you went to buy stereo gear, like realistic stuff. And you would buy the giant Mach 1 speakers with the 15-inch woofers. I... Oh, I could not wait until September when the annual Radio Shack catalog came out. <laughs> and these things were 
200 pages thick, and they were loaded with everything from these giant speakers to uh, Tandy computers. I'm looking at the Radio Shack catalog from exactly 30 years ago. The 1985 catalog shows off this fabulous new thing called a car phone. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. It, it's... It, it, they've got all these things digitized. They're all online, and you uh, just Google Radio Shack catalogs. You can go back to the 40s. For $599.95, or for as low as $35 a month, you can buy a 105-channel cable-ready tuner with 12 presets for easy one-touch recording, beta hi-fi VCR with convenient wireless remote control. So this is 1985? 1985. I don't even want to think what that is in today's money. Oh, we have to figure that out now. Hang on. $1,321. I have $1,165.27. Well, that's the Canada-U.S. exchange rate. Oh, okay, there you go. All so right. It's a 94% change. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. Are we making money? We are making loads of money off the Patreon system. We have 15 patrons, which net us $40 per episode. You know, I was thinking when I first started in radio, Mm -hmm. That's about what I was making per shift. <laughs> Everything old is new again. Yeah, I know. I know. We uh, have this new Patreon system up because we figured if, there, if we're going to keep this show up and running, we need some cold, hard cash coming in the door. If you pledge $1 or more per episode, you get to join the world's worst intern program where you pay us. We'll mention you on the big show. You get the episode earlier than those who are listening on the radio or even just downloading it over the regular iTunes or so. If you pledge $25 or more, and we have one co-producer of the world's most popular podcast, Grant Ridge from Brampton, Ontario. He has donated 25 bucks as he did last week. And here's where we get you. Here's how we screw you. It's a <laughs> recurring revenue model. So if you offer to give a dollar per episode, every time we put out a new episode, we ding you for a buck. We're kind of like a cable company. There are ways around this. Specifically, you can set a maximum dollar amount so that we don't run up your credit card or anything. But clearly, Grant is a very generous individual. <laughs> yes, he is. Thank you very much. So he's uh, we've got him in the tune. $100 a month. Uh, yeah, way to go. Mike Tweedy, Frank Favari, Paul, Kevin Priestley, Steve, Robin Calda, Corey Mosher, Bevan Lance, Mike Wise, John Buffoni, The Straw Hat No, Joe G, and Gary Southers are our other interns helping make this show possible. If you go to geeksandbeats.com slash donate or to patreon.com slash geeksandbeats, you can help us out as well uh, because we are creating the world's most popular podcast. We are. We're doing our best. Do you want to go on a little bit further into this uh, top 10 podcast uh, contest for Toronto? Well, yeah, let's, um, again, I'm, I'm a little late to this because I only saw the notification when I was out uh, with the Toronto Star, or the Toronto uh, Maple Leafs people. So let's have a look. So it's the ninth edition of the Toronto PodCamp that takes place at Ryerson University later this month. And so blogto.com is asking you to vote for your favorite podcast. And uh, among them is, surprisingly, and I don't know who told them, us. Hmm. Let's see here. Uh, Comedy Bar Podcasts, Maple Leaf Hot Stove. Yep. You got the Canada Land, of course. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the uh, Toronto Vegetarian 
the sex and the single parent. <clears throat> and then a couple of chumps named Humble and Fred are on there as well. But we don't want you to vote for them. Oh, they are. I was, I was just looking for them. Oh, yeah, there they are. Okay. Well, you know what? We probably just give this to them. No. Uh, well... It'll it'll compile the list of the top ten. So we pray that you'll vote for us. But if you don't, at least maybe somebody else will. Hmm. Uh, and the thing is, is that uh, you can't keep voting for it. It figures out who you are and it won't let you revote. So we hope that you'll go in, you'll vote, make it happen. Uh, and we'll get some attention off this. And then maybe that'll lead to instead of 40 bucks a week, we'll make 50 bucks a week. And then we'll be rolling in the dough. Well, here's Taggart and Torrance. It's Jeremy Taggart from uh, Our Lady Peace. Stop naming other people. No, I'm sorry. Sorry. You're going to give it away and then people will go, well, okay. screw those chumps. Hang on. I'm, geeks I'm just, and beats. I just voted. There we go. Uh, did you vote for us? Yes. Thank you. Yes. I felt I, I felt a certain obligation. Well, I appreciate that. Now, to save you from having to remember the link, go to geeksandbeats.com slash vote, and we'll auto-redirect you to the BlogTO poll. Um, do we have to talk about Spotify yet again? Well, I think we, we ought to, because there's a lot of misconception about this. If you get the Metro papers, you will have uh, maybe seen my column on uh the misunderstanding that people have regarding streaming music services. A lot of people are complaining that, you know, uh, Spotify, YouTube, um, RDO, all these other ones, they're, they're paying a pittance when it comes to what they're giving out to artists for the privilege of playing their songs uh, as part of their uh, part of their business model. But rather, uh, but what happened was in France, Deezer, which is based out of Paris, was audited and they had to disclose where the payments actually went. And if you dig down into what would be a 10 euro a month subscription, post-tax, so let's just take tax out of the question, the money left mm-hmm. over that's available to distribute, 73% of that subscription revenue goes to the record label and 7% goes to the artist. So what's wrong with this picture? So when Tom York and when David Byrne and all these other people start bitching about they only got, you know, $10 for 151,000 Spotify plays. Well, your issue is not with Spotify. It's with your collective. It's with your publisher. It's with your label. Meantime, if you want to blame somebody for something, apparently it's your fault that we've seen a big tumble in uh, music CD sales. Music Industry Blog says that 72% of the spending decline in 2014 on music was the result of only 14% of music fans. Right. There is a certain percentage of the music market that is hardcore. People that go out and buy lots and lots of music. So when you lose them, you've lost big time. You've lost a huge percentage of the overall market. I mean, most of the people that uh, consider themselves music fans are casual, passive fans. They're the kind of people that buy two or three CDs at the counter at Starbucks every year. The rest of those, you know, the hardcore fans are the ones that go to the record stores and the record uh, shows, all that sort of stuff. And if you lose them, like you said, the whole industry goes into a tailspin. So why have we lost them? Have we lost them to streaming music? Have we lost them to digital downloads? Because, you know, we know Apple's got streaming plans as well. That's true. Uh, I don't know where everybody is going. Um, I am, however, buying much 
much less music in terms of CDs. I think what we're talking about here is overall revenue. So if I'm not going out and buying a $15 CD and instead going for the $1.29 single song iTunes download, Mm -hmm. well, that's obviously a huge part of the problem, isn't it? I'm not buying a lot of physical product anymore. Occasionally a piece of vinyl, occasionally a CD that I really, really want because I want to support the artist. But everything else I'm getting through streaming music services or I'm buying it through iTunes. According to Media... M-I-D-I-A, 17% of all consumers consider themselves music aficionados, but only one in five are actually streaming music. They're subscribers. Subscribers, which is different than uh, somebody with an account. But they account for 61% of total music spending. Yeah. So, again, if you don't take care of your core customers, the people that will buy everything, uh, or if they decide that there's a better deal somewhere else... Uh, no wonder you're going to run into trouble. Apple, meantime, is really on the edge of running into trouble itself with antitrust regulators. If this report uh, we've got on geeksandbeats.com is is any indication, they are deeply integrating their upcoming streaming music service into their iOS, as well as iTunes and Apple TV and all these other uh, services. This is almost like the 21st century version of Internet Explorer. Yeah, I mean, everything is becoming tightly, tightly integrated into a closed ecosystem. And once you they suck you into that ecosystem, it's really, really difficult to get out. I can, I, I'll attest to this. I mean, my first Apple product was an iPod Nano. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, sorry, an, uh, an iPod Mini. Uh, four gig iPod Mini back at about 2004. You mean you didn't buy an original iPod? No, I didn't. I would have thought you'd be on the forefront of that. No, no, no. I thought they were too expensive. I didn't I didn't see the need because I was burning my own CDs and I was playing songs in my car that way. I was fine with that. But uh, so I started with that and it was the beginning of a slippery slope. And now I can't tell you how much Apple product I have in my house. It's just ridiculous. Well, that's that whole walled garden idea. And I'm dialed into that as well. When people ask me what smartphone to buy, I ask them some key questions. One of the very first one is, what do all your friends and family have? Because you want that built-in tech support system if you're getting into a new smartphone. Right. But the other side of it is, is do you already have an iPad? Do you have a Mac? If you do, if the answer is yes to either of those questions, just get yourself an iPhone, call it a day. Mm-hmm. I don't understand these people who have iPhones and iPads and then ditch the iPhone in favor of an Android device. It just makes your life so much more complicated. But therein lies the issue. You get sucked into their world, and it's kind of like the mafia. You keep trying to get out, they keep pulling you back in. Keep pulling you back in, exactly, because you've got all these devices that now work all together, and they work pretty fine, and you can't get out, because otherwise you'd have to start all over again. And you'd hate for something unfortunate to happen. Oh, yeah. Cut the cord and go to geeksandbeats.com anytime. You'll get the latest episode and links to the stories the boys are talking about. Geeksandbeats.com. Also available on 8-track and cassette. Novelty songs based on 80s video games. Yeah, I used to work in a grocery store. Sorry to hear that. 
Yeah, it was the worst five years of my life. And we often had to do overnight shifts. So if it was Easter or Christmas, we'd have to spend uh, the entire night stocking the shelves, getting it ready for 9 o'clock the following morning. And we'd have the radio on all night. And I remember Buckner and Garcia with Pac-Man Fever, which was a huge hit on the back of the whole Pac-Man video game thing. And I must apologize to my friend, Charlie. Uh, We were going to the University of Winnipeg, and it so happened that my... um, my morning would end as his would sort of begin. And I would insist that, no, you don't need to go to that French lab. Let's go down to the arcade and push more quarters into the uh, Pac-Man game. Right. And so we did. Now, I passed French with, a, I think, a 61% final grade. Um, his was 27%. Ouch. That's because the two of us had Pac-Man fever, and we spent untold thousands of dollars in the machines, and uh, you just, if you grew up in the early 80s with the stand-up video consoles, and they were such a new thing coming off decades and decades of pinball, uh, it was easy to get sucked into this thing. I was never a Donkey Kong person, but I was always a Pac-Man person. Namco came out with the first Pac-Man arcade game in May of 1980, and we know that it's Japanese. We know that the Japanese name was Pacuman, but did you know that originally they were going to name Pac-Man Puck-Man? Oh. And you know why they didn't name it Puckman? No. Is because it's easy to scratch out part of the letter P. Uh, yeah, okay, I see it now. Apparently they found that out the hard way. <laughs> I, okay. One thing that made video game consoles so successful at the beginning in the first place was because they weren't pinball machines. The pinball machine itself couldn't adapt to the improving player. If you were a pinball wizard, all it was was a function of time. Whereas with these video game consoles, they could speed things up. They could make them faster. They could make them more difficult. They could change them around. And this opened up a whole new world of possibilities for the industry. Well, it did. And they tried to electronify pinball machines, and it just wasn't the same thing. You got your three balls, and, uh, you know, it didn't matter how complicated the playing surface was. After a while, you would figure it out and and do okay. But I I remember that with uh, consoles, you could... um, even even there, I, I, you would think that they would update the firmware on some of these things to make it a little quicker, a little bit more difficult. You know, they would uh, monitor how long a person, the average person, would spend playing on one quarter, and then figure out maybe we can just tweak it a little bit so we shave an average of twenty seconds off per play. That kind of thing. The YouTube channel This Exists looked at the novelty song too. Pac-Man Fever is maybe the greatest novelty song of all time. That's because it combines the usual fun and folly of a typical novelty song with 80s production values and Pac-Man as the subject. Like this is what happens between the first chorus and second verse. Released by songwriting duo Buckner and Garcia in 1981, Pac-Man Fever would reach number nine on the Billboard Hot 100 and eventually be certified gold. That's right, for the week of March 27th, 1982, Pac-Man Fever was more popular than Edge of 17. According to the Davy Brown Index, in the 80s, Pac-Man had the highest brand awareness of any video game character in the United States. You put 100 people in a room, 94 of them 
recognized Pac-Man. It was one of the longest-running video game franchises ever. No, it worked really, really well, and it explains why Buckner and Garcia wrote the song about them. And Buckner and Garcia actually, uh, <laughs> you know, they were a couple of songwriters. They didn't really write, want to write a song about a video game, but it would, turned out to be very popular. They got a major label record contract, and then the first thing that they were forced to do is write another video game song, and this time about Donkey Kong, which was an absolute utter failure. Um, and Buckner and Garcia disappeared forever. One of the neat things about the actual upright video game console from Namco that played the Pac-Man game, guess the CPU speed. Oh, God, 1980? The CPU, uh, like what, 4 megahertz? Oh, not too bad. 3.072 megahertz. (laughs) 16 palette colors with 224 dots by 288 dots. Your iPhone has, your iPhone has 10 times the resolution of the original Pac-Man from 30 years ago. Yeah, and let's not even talk about the computing power. Wow. Yep. Meantime, speaking of the 80s, uh, if you go to geeksandbeats.com, Amber Healy has this great piece on a drive-in owner who is hoping to save his drive-in by walking across uh, the United States, raising money. 60 grand is what he needs uh, to go digital with his uh, his his movie theater. Yeah, there's a, actually a three-screen drive-in uh, about a five-minute drive from my house. And uh, it's open from late March through to, I guess, December, and it's still running. And, and I, it's, it's, it's one of the few drive-ins remaining in all of Ontario. I don't know why anybody would go to, well, no, wait a second. I retract that. I know exactly why people would go to a drive-in. Okay. Wh- why would people go to a drive-in? Oh, for the sex. <laughs> you know what? I was thinking about that. And you would want to have the frosted windows or you would at least want to have the uh, the, the sh- what am I looking for? What's the what's the word? I'm li- the more I drink this scotch as the show progresses, <laughs> yeah, I've noticed the tinted windows would be critical, I can imagine. But really, how much action can you really get when you've got all these people around you? Oh, listen. Where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, well, there's that. And it doesn't even matter if there are people in the front seat. There's a, a way to do it in the back seat discreetly. Okay, but this is that, that that's that 80s teenager sort of thing more than anything else, where you and your buddy and your best girls go to the drive-in and you're making out in the front seat, they're making out in the back seat. Apparently, there are only 330 drive-ins left in the United States. And back in 1980, there were 2,400 yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, why would you go to any movie theater when you can get just about anything you want on demand in in, in uh, the privacy of your basement or your parents' basement? Well, there's other things you can do in the privacy of your basement, but if what you're telling me is accurate, clearly that's not relevant. Well, no, but. Uh, I would like to. I like the fact that I have a drive-in in my in my neighborhood, even though I've been here for over ten years and I've never gone to it. 
According to Amber Healy on GeeksBeats.com, originally the reason why we saw such a contraction in the number of drive-in theaters in uh, the United States, and I, I can imagine Canada as well, is uh, the the costs. The, these were in the suburbs, and then the suburbs encroached, and now basically all you've got are ones that are in rural communities surrounded by little development, and in, in some cases, farmland. But the problem is that the, the Hollywood studios don't want to ship 35-millimeter film anymore, and they They've decided that the priority will be those major market theaters screens to upgrade to the digital and that they're not going to assist the smaller rural community drive-ins because it's just not the high volume that they're looking for. So to switch film from film to digital will cost a projector about $75,000 a screen. And in most of these cases, it's not a single screen. You have two, three, maybe four screens at a time. Yeah, it's they're caught in a in a really tough uh, downward spiral, and um, well, again, I, I, I like I like the idea of the drive-in. I'm never going to go to one. The drive-in's gone 21st century for the ones that have survived, though, in addition to the digital screens. Back in the olden days, you would take that little speaker off the hook and attach it to the uh, window of your car and roll the window up so that you could hear it, or you would tune it in on the uh, FM or AM frequency of your car's stereo. And run your battery down. Exactly. But now it's even more high-tech than that with, with the, uh, the various means of getting it into your dashboard. I don't even, you know what? I, that's a good point. I have no idea how you get the sound of the movie into your car these days at a drive-in. Speaking of something that's circling the drain. Oh, yes. I'm, this, is, this is a lawsuit waiting, for, um, to, waiting to happen. Somebody has created Justin Bieber toilet paper. And not any ordinary Justin Bieber toilet paper. Look at the image. No, this is the image of one of his arrests. I believe this was the arrest in Florida mm-hmm. for the uh, Lamborghini racing, I think. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's a mugshot with him in, a, uh, in an orange prison uniform. Uh, it is Justin Bieber toilet paper by Premier Products Exchange funny gag music artist prank. And it's yours for $8.99 a roll. Uh, a roll, that's right. My question is, is it two-ply or one? Um, it weighs only five ounces. The manufacturer recommended age is four years and up. It doesn't indicate how many ply. I suspect considering Justin's music, is probably one ply. Well, it is flimsy. That is true. However, uh, given the image that has to be transferred to it. Uh, shipping weight is five ounces. That image transfer thing is an interesting point because of that bright orange jumpsuit he's wearing. I would be concerned that that ink would rub off when it comes in contact um, with water. And be carcinogenic. So not only is his music making you ill. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.